Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cosmopolitan.com Happy Hour, the happiest hour of the week. Yay. We need like a sound effect. Yay. 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 Thanks, guys. Okay, human sound effects. So today we are talking about a topic that's really interesting, I think, to all women, but especially to me personally. We're sort of talking about women and language and the idea of this ongoing debate over what women say and how the way you speak may or may not hold you back in the workplace. Um, anyone who's ever turned into this podcast, including now if this is your first time, knows that this is an issue that is personally interesting to me because despite growing up in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, I have this like valley girl accent that I've had for my entire life. So um, I'm really interested in this topic. So um, I'm joined at the Cosmopolitan.com office today um, by Cosmopolitan.com editor Amy O'Dell. Cosmopolitan Cosmopolitan.com managing editor Ali Martel. Um, on the phone from LA, our pop culture writer Laura Beck, who is also a TV writer. Laura, do you want to say hi? I'm staring Hello. at the phone. Hello. I don't know why I singled out Laura to say hi to nobody else, but yeah, what am I? Yeah, Top exactly. deliver. Because I'm looking at you guys and I can't look at Laura. So, and also um, our special guest today, who is Kathleen Harris from Levo. Did I say that correctly? Levo. Levo. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I thought about yes. it too much, and then I got paranoid, which is like kind of what we're talking about. Um, but Levo, Levo is an organization that is dedicated to helping millennial women um, find their footing and get ahead in the workplace. So, Kathleen, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this topic. Um, and I want to sort of establish why we're talking about this right now. Um, you know, I think... For several decades now, you know, researchers and academics have been studying this topic. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily a new thing to sort of identify that, you know, the subtle ways women are held back in the workplace could be tied in part to sort of verbal speech patterns or cues that can kind of undermine what you're saying. So for examples of this, you know, the tendency for women to say, I do this all the time. Basically, every example I give is drawn from my own personal, but, um, you know, the tendency for women to say something like, I feel like instead of just stating their opinion or up speak, which is this tendency to say, I'll get that report to you today instead of I'll get you that report today, boss, you know, um, sort of ending things as a question instead of making these declarative statements and vocal fry, which is that sort of Kim Kardashian speak where you draw your sentences for dramatic effect or to emphasize what you're saying. Um, personally, I can barely finish the sentence without using without doing one or more of these things. Um, so that's sort of, you know, there have been a lot of articles written about this, but I feel like one reason this got put back on the map is because this summer there was an article written by um, Ellen Lentz, who is an 
a Google and Apple alum who actually originally wrote a piece for LinkedIn that Business Insider picked up that went super viral that was about using the word just and how she sort of makes the point in this super viral article that women are more likely to say just in emails and in conversation and that that is sort of another way that they are sort of being overly polite and sort of positioning themselves as being subordinate to men. So this article went super viral. Everyone saw it everywhere on Facebook. And Amy, I know you reached out to her and asked if we could republish it on Cosmopolitan.com. Why did, you know, and I feel like this article sort of reignited this debate and this interest around it. Um, you know, Amy, why why did that article resonate with you and why did you want to bring that to the Cosmo audience? Well, I say just in emails all the time. Um... I kind of feel like, and you know, I've, I'm in a position of management at Cosmo. I have a team of like 30 people, something like that. That's a pretty big team. And I've, you know, when you get into a position like that, you go through management coaching and you learn about your management style and other people's management style. And I know that my style is to be very direct with people. And I think that when I'm saying, oh, I just wanted to check in and see, I'm kind of doing that because you know, when you are very direct, some that works really great for some people and that doesn't work so well with other people. And sometimes I just add more words to try to make sure that I'm not sounding too, you know, like demanding and in people's faces. Because also with women, like women are more likely to be seen as, I think, um, you know, bitchy if they just say, hey, I need this right now. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, I was just wondering if you had a chance to read my email and see what I think. And I, you know, I'm not sure I totally agree, even though I thought that article was very compelling, the women say just too much and that mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't say it as much. I think that it can be kind of a word that you use when you're trying to be polite and you're talking to someone who is much more senior to you. And, you know, it's kind of like a way of saying, I respect your time and, you know, I just wanted to check it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think... It, I feel like we're sort of skipping ahead to almost like you kind of eloquently summed up the point of that article, but also maybe a reason you didn't agree with it, which I think is this idea of like, is it really so bad to sound polite in the workplace? Is that really necessarily um, a a bad thing? Um, And Kathleen, what about you? I'm sure you saw this article when it went viral this summer. Yes, definitely. And we talk a lot at Levo about you know, this whole women apologizing too much and other words to think about. Um, and to not think about using in, in public speaking. I mean, it comes down to basically you want to come across as a confident speaker. And what you're saying carries this level of heft with it. And I think to Amy's point, it's okay to say to someone, hey, do you just have a minute? Mm-hmm. I know in that article she said, instead say one minute. And I was like, that's a little forceful. And, you know, there's a way to be a good coworker, a good manager. Uh, I don't think just is undermining everything per se, but I do think it's about thinking how you communicate and making sure they're coming across in the most confident way. I mean, to me, the bigger issue is... I know Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant wrote about this in January, is women speaking in meetings and then a man basically saying the same exact idea mm-hmm. that she did and running with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what, what is the woman saying that is not making that idea come across? Is it using filler language like that or is it a bigger problem? Sure. And I can relate to that on a very human level because since I was a kid, it's always been like I tell a joke at like Christmas family dinner and then and my dad then my dad will say it louder and everyone like, oh, Al, you're so funny. And we're like, dad, it shakes. It's infuriating, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, but not that was a stupid personal example for my life. But I did want to ask, you know, this 
panel of accomplished ladies who are in the room like do you guys have a moment i just said like thinking about that now but um see now i have to monitor everything i'm saying but um was there a moment for you guys when you sort of remember learning about these issues or even a moment where someone you know, took you aside and said, you know, the way that you're speaking could be holding you back. Cause that certainly happened to me, but I'm sort of wondering about how you felt like on a personal level, this topic has come up in your own life. Um, well, I grew up in New York. I grew up in Queens and my parents are from Brooklyn. So I had a very strong New York accent as a child. And then when Can I- you just imitate it right now? <laughs> like say a word like yeah. better. I don't know. Um, but when I went to high school, I went to a magnet school that had kids from all over the city, especially Manhattan. And people from Manhattan don't really have a strong accent. And I got to high school and was like, oh, my God, I sound so dumb compared to these people. And I spent my entire freshman year of high school listening to how everyone spoke and memorizing and mimicking their speech patterns until I got rid of my accent. And I still don't necessarily hear a New York accent in my parents as much. Like when I went to college and my parents came to visit, I remember people being like, oh my God, Allie, your mom. And I was like, what? And they they were like her accent and I didn't hear it, but I don't sound like her anymore. And I think that's interesting that you really had this specific moment sort of studying the way people around you were talking and saying that to fit in and to to not have people have a certain impression of me, I need to change the way that I communicate. Yeah, because at the time the nanny was on and, you know, Fran Fine, the flashy girl from Flushing, like, I am from Flushing. I was the flashy girl from Flushing. But people had this idea of people from Flushing and I kind of wanted to get rid of that and sound better, for lack of a better word. Absolutely. I have definitely, you know, can think of actually a lot of specific instances, but um, a few years ago, um, actually, Amy and I were at a big Cosmo conference together, um, and we were both presenting. Um, I was presenting about social media. Amy was presenting about the site. But um, So that was the reason I was there, and it was basically a gathering of all the editor-in-chiefs of all the international editions of Cosmo. But um, there was a few executives from Hearst there, and I remember I was chatting with someone that I'd never, that I'd always known and admired, but never really had much of a personal relationship with. And she basically stopped me in the middle of a sentence and was like, Elisa, I haven't spent very much time with you, but I can tell that you're really smart and you don't sound like it. She was like, you have to stop. Yeah. She was like, you have to stop saying yeah every three seconds. And it was kind of interesting because I was actually, this is not the first time I've heard this, but I was like, yeah, that's a new one. I usually get called out (laughs) for saying like every two seconds. Um, And, you know, I heard what she was saying and she was someone I really respect and admire. And I knew she was saying that was sort of the best intentions for me. But it was also difficult because I was about to give this presentation to a room full of people, which I was nervous about. And sort of the last thing I wanted was to be second guessing everything that was coming out of my mouth. But Kathleen, what about you? Have you ever had a moment personally where someone, you know, made a comment about your speech? Not specifically. I think it was self-realized. You know, as you become more of a manager and you have to do a lot more presentations Mm -hmm. and the room is filled with everyone from an intern to potentially the president stopping by to hear what you're saying. Um, Especially I was the editor of RealSimple.com, so I would have to do a monthly update on the status of business. And you just see that moment when people start to take out their phones and they're not really paying attention to Mm. you. And I think my body language wasn't as strong. And I used a lot of filler words uh, like 
actually. Uh, and so I think I just became more and more cognizant of it. And mm-hmm. because I had to do this on a monthly basis, I really would sit down and, and think about what I was saying, how I was saying it. I was I was told that I, I tended to talk too fast. Mm-hmm. And I needed to slow down and think about it. Because I think that's when a lot of those words come into play, too, when you're speaking fast and you're trying to get ahead to what you're going to say next right. and not just taking a pause. So right. I think that's been helpful in thinking about just taking a breath, think about what you're going to say next. Absolutely. And so, Ali, you wrote recently on Cosmopolitan.com, you wrote an article about you did an experiment where you tried not to say like for a week. You it's basically hard. you basically failed miserably yes. at the experiment and you said like all the time. But um, I feel like what I don't know why I just like vocal fried that. I feel like <laughs> one of the interesting parts of your article was sort of the conclusion you came to about this experiment. And do you want to sort of talk about how the experiment went and what you thought about it afterwards? Sure. Um, so, yes, I failed miserably. That is true. Um, and it kind of got in the way of my life because I was thinking about it all the time. And so if I was having a conversation with someone, especially when telling a story and you're saying, and he was like this and I was like that, when you're stopping to pause constantly because you're thinking about this, I felt like I sounded dumber than if I had just said like because I was pausing and in weird places, not thoughtful places. Um, and I would be at dinner and I would notice I said it three times and I'd have to take my phone out and mark it down so I would remember how many times I said it. Um, and then toward the end of my experiment, I had a holiday dinner with my family and none of them knew that I was doing it and none of them noticed that I was speaking differently. And I was kind of like, well, these people have listened to me talk more than anyone else in my life and they don't know that I'm doing it. So what is even the point maybe? Um, and I think it's just everyone says like, Everyone uses it. Everyone tells a story that way. Everyone uses it all the time. It's not just young women. So no one who didn't, everyone who did not know that I was doing this never caught on to it. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think cutting it out of your speech is necessary. That was the conclusion I came to because nobody noticed. Okay, you guys hold tight for a second. I have something I want to talk about. Um, real quick, I don't know if you guys know this, but it is free TV month. This month, when you purchase any Samsung 9 series SUHD TV, 55 inches or above, they're actually going to give you a free 32-inch Samsung TV. Literally a free TV. Um, only through December 5th, that's when the offer ends. You can visit any participating Samsung SUHD retailer. But um, I want to actually talk about this TV for a second um, because the whole thing that they're kind of selling is that this is the best way to 4K. We all know 4K is like the only thing anyone in the tech world is talking about right now. It's the best TV Samsung has ever offered. You know, they're saying it's these superior levels of color, contrast, brightness. That makes me think of Instagram, an Instagram filter for your TV. Um, It's a brighter, more true-to-life picture, wide range of colors, and the thing they're really bragging about is this immersive curved screen. Every seat is a great seat when you're watching on a curved screen. So right now, when you purchase any Samsung 9 Series SUHD TV, 55 inches or above, you're going to get that free 32-inch Samsung J4000 Series TV. Um, This is only while supplies last. For the free 32-inch model and any additional restrictions and limitations, see participating retailers or visit samsung.com slash free TV. Okay, so anyway, I guess my question is, and maybe maybe you know more about this, but you know, isn't it like a case of like 
subtle perception. Like we don't realize that we perceive women leaders um, to be maybe let's say bitchier than male leaders. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a lot of unconscious bias in terms right. of that. And I, I do think women tend to be, because of articles like this, much more cognizant of how they speak. And to your point, maybe it's then making you sound robotic or just not natural. And it really comes down to, in my mind, that it's who's telling the best story and how you're telling it. And if you use words like that, but your ideas coming across in a very powerful way, then it's not really harmful. I mean, mm-hmm. one thing I did used to always say that I would get a lot of... Um, hand slaps for is okay this may be dumb or Mm. this totally crazy idea but what if and I know this is so stupid and that's something that a female boss said to me once she was like look what's great about you is that you do have these big crazy ideas and let other people hear them and then we could turn them into something that's more reality but you're setting up this terrible disclaimer and I think women do that a lot more than men do. Men will just like spout their crazy idea and just say you know here's our our next big thing and women are like okay bear with me for a second hear this out I know this is so dumb but there could be something there Right and I feel like I'm such a raging narcissist that I've taken this in like two far of a direction where I'll be in meetings and be like, you guys, I just had the most brilliant idea ever. <laughs> that's something I do, right? You guys all work with I think me. we all kind of do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, that's the great thing about being a Cosmo, which is a very like women, prime, you know, 99% yeah. women workplace. So. I also feel like, you know, know your audience. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm having dinner with my family, it doesn't matter what I say. If exactly. I'm out with my husband or my friends, like no one cares the way I sound. But if I'm giving a, a presentation to all the executives of Hearst, which mm-hmm. is the parent company of Cosmo, um, I'm going to present myself in a different way. I'm going to dress in a different way and I'm going to behave in a different way. You know, like I'm going to be much more cognizant of things that that I might not think twice about, like checking my watch, you know, like Mm -hmm. I just think that that's something that you have to learn as you climb the ranks in in your job. It's like know your crowd, know how to present yourself in a really professional way when it really matters. Well, I have a follow up question about that, Amy, because I think one of I think it's hard to talk about sort of the way women speak without folding in the idea of age. Um, And, you know, Amy, you're in an interesting position because you're the editor of Cosmopolitan.com. So you interface with all the executives at Hearst, which are basically like old men in suits. (laughs) Shout out to all the people signing our paychecks. But, you know, so on one hand, you, you know, are presenting yourself as a professional when you're interfacing with them, when you're presenting to them, when you need to ask them for things like more money and more resources for the site. But at the same time, you're also in your position because you are a millennial woman and because because you're sort of representing millennial women. So I think that is sort of, you know, I remember you telling me, just like telling all your secrets right now, but I remember you telling me one time saying something in a meeting about wanting to build up bachelorette party content on the site and people kind of laughed. Like that was like almost like, oh, you know, Amy and like the things millennials care about. So I don't I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but it's sort of interesting how on one hand you are presenting yourself as a professional, but you're also in these meetings to sort of represent young people. 
Right. Absolutely. I think that probably in that situation that you're talking about where I said, oh, bachelorette parties and people sort of laughed, you know, they were probably looking at really, really boring presentations all day. Mm -hmm. Um, And someone (laughs) came in and, you know, with the idea of like the color pink and like, let's have fun, which is our job as editors of Cosmo is to have fun and to translate that fun to the content that we create for our readers. Um, But yeah, I think that there, you know, it's really easy to be seen as immature if you are in a high ranking position and you are not that old. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like ageism is real, just like sexism is real. And I don't know. I mean, I guess my thing is like, can you really do anything about that aside from like put your best foot forward? I don't really think. You know, I think that this is like it would have to be like a huge like social shift in the way that we perceive young people and the way that we perceive women. And look at how millennials are perceived now. It's like we are seen as a generation that's like always on a cell phone, has no attention span, only cares about themselves. Mm -hmm. So when you walk into a room as a millennial woman, you automatically carry that stereotype Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you have to work extra hard to not let that stereotype stick to you. So, you know, one of the changes that I've made, uh, over the course of my time at Cosmos, I try not to bring my phone or my computer to meetings. And there are certain people I will never look at my phone in front of them. I will never look at my computer in front of them because I know that if they see me doing that, they're going to think, oh, millennial, she's not even paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. She's on Facebook or something. Right. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So Kathleen, this is literally your your sort of entire job is to be addressing these issues and helping women navigate this. So sort of what's your take on that relationship between gender and ageism? Well, I think to Amy's point, it's so much about arming young people in their first jobs with the right skills that they can speak confidently. They can be that representation to combat that. Uh, I know we do. We do every April. We do uh, a big equal payday campaign called Ask for More, and we did a survey to find out why sixty percent of millennial women are not negotiating in their hmm. first jobs, it's and we wanted to find me. out why. And one of the main reasons is, I think it was 55% of the survey respondents said they didn't want to come across as as pushy. And I think that plays into a lot of the language, too. There's this emotional fear of coming across as a bitch or pushy or mm-hmm. anything like that. So I think they temper their language and they temper their actions early on. And I think what we can do to combat that is arm them with the tools, the resources to say, no, you do need to speak confidently. You know, People do have a chip on their shoulder about millennials. I mean, at Leva, we tried to do a great job to dispel these myths that they're lazy, they're entitled. I'm so impressed by millennials, their entrepreneurship, the businesses they're starting. It's incredible. Like, social media has armed an entire generation to be their own self-starters. And I think the more we can preach that message, I'm hoping that that will combat the ageism. I mean, a lot of the problem, too, is that there aren't women in leadership at the top. Mm -hmm. So the more women there are in leadership, I think that the more role models there will be Mm -hmm. and the less those sentiments are kind of passed around a boardroom. Mm -hmm. So when more women have seats at the table, I think it, it helps everything trickle down. Sure. And I think, of course, the idea of having, you know, I think this, I think such an important part of this debate, um, and I'm thinking about this article that an academic and linguist named Debbie Cameron wrote in response to this viral essay about saying just, where she sort of said, like, 
you know, I think like, let's put the brakes on this for a second. And I don't, she, her point is basically like, first of all, do women really say just more than men? Unclear. Second of all, you know, how is policing women and the way they speak really any different than policing women for their appearance or for their bodies or for other things that we would sort of agree are anti-feminist or inappropriate. Um, And I think that's a really interesting sort of tricky issue to discuss is this line between giving women advice for their careers that will help and benefit them and giving them advice that's basically like, don't talk like a woman that's bad you should talk like a man what do you guys think about that i think that's i think it's a tricky issue to talk about and of course we're all in this room you know feminists and but it is essentially a kind of policing to sort of say things that are stereotypically feminine are bad i'm really curious to hear laura's perspective because laura has written writes so much when she's on on the weekends (laughs) by herself um about body image and just like every injustice that goes viral on the internet every day. Um, yeah, I think like, um, you guys have been raising so many awesome points. I feel like women already have so many more specific rules to follow in the workplace than men do because workplaces were like designed with men in mind, um, especially like desirable ones, except for Cosmo. Um, <laughs> and, um, these dudes have been like kind of serviced for so long and like been in control for so long that any um, change for them is like, if it ain't broke, like don't fix it. Like women need to like mold themselves kind of in this like in this image to succeed. And I think, you know, a lot of women who have succeeded in the past, like in generations before us have come through by completely changing like who they are and like fitting in with this like male dominated environment. And it does come down to this like uh, unconscious bias. And like, we all have it. Like I definitely have it. Like I like when I listen to podcasts, I notice that I definitely get more annoyed with women's voices than I do with men's voices. Oh my gosh, you went there, Laura. <laughs> yeah, so, like I have to. Obviously, not this. You all have the most lovely speaking voices. I've ever yeah, heard. yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I have to like um, clock myself. Like, am I annoyed with what she's saying or like how she's saying it? And what's that about? And maybe um, it's more of my problem than it is hers. And I'm wondering, like, if we can kind of translate and teach more about these biases in the workplace it'll open people's minds like instead of you know having like younger women having to fit into this mold like of course there are things you have to do to succeed in the workplace but not to completely change who they are maybe the workplace needs to change a little bit yeah like I sometimes I tend to feel this way about men in general all the time for everything but there is a part of me that's a little like get on my level men like you know and I but to be completely real you know I my role at Cosmo is overseeing social media and so I think the fact that I talk like a millennial woman woman and I know how to communicate with millennial women has been an asset in my job and like honestly some like stodgy old you know, 60-year-old man in a suit, I don't think would be as effective at speaking that language. So I'm really... Definitely not. I can't imagine if our social feeds were run by that person. Right, but I think, you know, and and there's sort of been, you know, talk about the social media industry, which I think tends to be a sort of female-heavy industry because women are good communicators. But, you know, I I think that that is a victory to sort of see a place where talking like a woman and being an apt communicator really 
can help you succeed. I think that's sort of a step forward. And the whole reason I went down that road is because Kathleen it reminded me of exactly what you were saying, which is that we need more women in positions of power. And again, yeah. like I think once the entire world is talking the way I talk and like vocal fry <laughs> left and right, it's sort of like if you're a man that doesn't know how to do that and can't literally speak the language, like you are going to be at a disadvantage. Right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you hope that people are smart enough to listen to the content of your words rather than the way of, in which you say it. Like, if not, I'm a little bit skeptical about how intelligent you are. Right. Wait, sorry. Did you just say you're skeptical of how intelligent I am? <laughs> I think she meant the listener. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I recognize that you're like a social media genius. Uh, well, that, like... You want people to like actually listen to what you're saying rather than how you're saying it. Sure, and I, and I think that is part of the point. Like you you don't want these sort of speech patterns to be detracting from what you're saying and from the message you're trying to get across. But um, Laura, another reason I really wanted you to have what I really wanted you to join the episode today is because you are also a TV writer, and so I think you think about language in sort of you know not only as yourself as a successful working woman but I'm kind of curious about your thoughts of you know things like writing dialogue and sort of how you know are you incorporating some of these verbal tics I guess that we're talking about into the dialogue you're writing or does that not really have a place in what you're doing oh yeah for sure um Amy said how like we talk differently with our friends and our family than we do in an office environment like I'm always really aware of that um when writing female characters when they're with like people that they feel comfortable with versus like when they're in an environment like surrounded by a bunch of intimidating older uh, dudes like the language has to change depending on circumstances and I actually was thinking about Allie's article with the like thing um, because I have to like be in a room if I'm pitching to execs like it'll be mostly older men and I do become more aware of how I'm speaking in front of them and I think it does like hinder my creativity and my ability to kind of bring up ideas on the spot because I'm part of my brain is really concentrating on like do I sound dumb like he's judging me like what what does he think of my like heels what does he like not like the way that I'm dressed like you have like you know all of these things kind of whirling in your head that are probably not whirling around in the head of men who are doing these presentations so um I found that what, what works best for me now is just to go in and be myself and I talk like this and I you know like you know, this is the way that I am and I'm able to express myself a little bit better and I feel more connection and I start seeing more women in the room and then I usually, like, if there's a woman, like, under the age of 40 in the room, like, I almost, like, I'll deliver my presentation, like, to her. Um, <laughs> it definitely work on. But, um, you know, I think as more women come up, um, other women will feel, like, more comfortable around them, too. So, Laura, you once said to me... You once said to me that you're often the only woman in a writer's room for TV. Yeah. So do you feel like you are responsible for, like, every female character in a show? Uh, yep, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting, like, things that people say to you. I've been told, like, like you're so loud and, like, talk, um, like, lower your voice. And then also I've been told you need to speak more in the room. Hmm. So you get a lot of these conflicting messages. Um and I definitely feel like in the writer's room, like if there's only one woman, you feel this 
like, or there's only one person of color, like, you feel like this need to represent, like, the, the voice of, like, your people, even though, like, I'm very different from, you know, most women. And, like, I think that women are so used to putting themselves in men's shoes to succeed that men have a harder time putting themselves, like, in a, in a woman's shoes because they haven't had to. So it is harder for them to right women um yeah but it's it's definitely interesting um i don't know why i thought of while you were talking about something really serious something like really light and stupid but just to switch gears a little bit um have you guys ever noticed how if you ever ask somebody who's like from the uk to do an american accent like how we all like to like do a faux british accent whenever they do it they like always do either like a valley girl accent or like a southern accent (laughs) Just wondering if anyone has ever noticed that. Yeah, go home and ask your. One of my best friends friends is Australian, and that's the only American accent she knows how to do. Right, or there was like a clip that went Ross Perot. (laughs) (laughs) Right, there was a clip of sort of um, Emma Watson, who of course is like a fabulous feminist actress who we all love, but where she was doing an American accent, and it was this total like Valley Girl. I just think that's interesting. It's like, hmm, that's what the rest of the world thinks of us. But um, I guess you epitomize America. I am American. <laughs> I will take it. Um, you are Emma Watson's idol. <laughs> yes, yeah, I will definitely take that. Um, another article that I kind of wanted to mention, which it in some ways feels like the evolution of what we're talking about, but um, is this article that was in the Times over the summer that Amanda Hess wrote that was um, called, I have it right in front of me, um, the... Oh, do I have it right in front of me? Called um, When You Literally Can't Even Understand Your Teenager. So she was specifically writing about um, teen slang. Um, but she sort of gives a summary of language where she says, you know, the, ni- the 80s and 90s was Valley Girl Speak. The 2000s was this like vocal fry, pop star, Britney Spears moment. And today, young people are literally not even finishing their sentences. They're so overwhelmed by emotion that they literally can't <laughs> even. And she sort of pulls out some funny examples of Tyler Oakley, who's a big YouTube star, and sort of the popularity of... Um, you know, that sort of being a new generation of communication. But, you know, she sort of touches on this idea that's always important when you're talking about language, that language has meaning within a community. And, you know, teen girls don't need to finish their sentences when they're talking to their best friends because their friends already know what they're talking about. And she sort of says that the you know, this kind of evolved because teens always want privacy from their parents. And so, you know, they're able to have these shorthand conversations with their friends, um, which their parents can't even literally can't even understand. Um, And then she makes the point in the article, you know, in our sort of fast paced social media age, how fast these sort of cool slang things that all the youths are doing sort of trickle up to the rest of society and you know she was talking about the taco bells and the brands of the world that are saying i can't even i literally can't um and you know i think i it's a really good article i'm always interested in like stealing cool teen slang in my own life that's just like really on brand for me but um i think the point she makes essentially is that language does shift and evolve and you know here's an example of the phrase you know you can't even literally can't even like that's only been popular for a few years and now it's ubiquitous so we've sort of already seen that being a way that people communicate um and so i think 
that is encouraging because I think it means that some of the things that women, you know, saying just or some of these other things that we've been talking about that are sort of seen as flaws, I think we can imagine a not very far away future where those things are acceptable. I don't know if you guys have reactions to that piece or sort of this idea of the language, the evolution of language in general. Yeah. So when I was at New York Magazine, like, I don't know how many years ago I did this story, maybe even like five years ago, four or five years ago, um, I noticed that everyone in the fashion industry was starting to say things like, I die. I mean, it's kind of like Rachel's. I was starting to say, like, I die, like, just like single word proclamations obsessed yeah um and i wrote an article about it like why is this why is fashion speak like this like why does everyone in the fashion industry talk like this and i interviewed uh like a linguist professor at stanford like i had some really interesting conversations with experts and what what i came back to was that uh it's sort of a way of it's like an exclusionary way of speaking so it's like you talk, you know, in a way that your fashion friends will understand, but no one else will understand because they're mm-hmm. not in fashion, which is sort of the same thing as like mm-hmm. the teenagers. Teens, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of overlap between those fashion people and teens. <laughs> I know the fashion people, they kind of started the trend. Yeah. Well, it's true because my husband's a high school teacher. So I feel like I get, uh, I get in on the, the slang early or yeah. told about it. And it's amazing how even how fast it changes in high school. Mm-hmm. So the second something becomes a little bit mainstream they're on to the next right they don't care anymore they don't care exactly i'm always i'm just like live my life trying to keep up with teenagers but what will be interesting (laughs) is you know as millennials become senior managers you know throughout the i think by 2020 millennials are going to be like 80% of the workforce or 60% of the workforce and how language will evolve because Mm -hmm. when you are speaking to, it's all about who your audience is. When you're presenting to the Hearst suits, you want to come across in a very certain way, but when someone who's in high school right now is going to be presenting to you, you'll be probably a lot more forgiving about how someone is talking to you. So I do think there will be an evolution, Mm -hmm. especially as millennials rise to top seats mm-hmm. and as language just changes and I think social media has made things a bit more informal mm-hmm. it all comes down to though how your audience is re- mm-hmm. responding to it because if you are presenting to a room full of peers and just being likable and relatable and approachable then they're going to walk away with what you're trying to say mm-hmm. I and I think that sort of like transitions into you know I was telling the story about presenting at this Cosmo conference and feeling a little nervous because someone called me out for saying yeah so you know, basically what I did in that situation is I went over my presentation a thousand times. Like we were in this fun conference in Argentina and it was like on my lunch break. I was like not eating, you know, I was like grabbing my lunch to go and going back to my hotel room and like running through the presentation and like Skyping with my boyfriend and like running through it again. And I would like to say I really killed it. I think I really nailed that presentation. (laughs) But, you know, I think I, I just love to use my examples from my personal life. This is like the Elisa Benson show. But um, no, I think one thing that sort of sometimes gets left out of this conversation about attacking women for the way they speak is like, or I don't want to say left out, but like maybe an answer to all of this is just like the solution is not necessarily changing the way you talk. But the solution is just knowing your shit. 
Like if you are well prepared, if you are confident, if you, and you know, that's hard to do when you're giving your first presentation ever, but as you do it again and again and again and again and again, you know, I think people do respond to that. And like, I went up and gave that presentation and probably said like, and yeah, 10 million times. But I think I also was able to effectively communicate that I know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I sort of feel like that is, you know, I think the debate about language can be a little sexist. And I think rather than saying women, don't say this, don't say that. I think the message to millennial women, especially should be like, know your shit, be insanely prepared. Um, so there I've just solved the problem. (laughs) Um, but I think that, you know, I think that language is changing over time. I think there are instances where these so-called flaws can actually be beneficial. And I think that that missing piece of the conversation is about telling women to really, like, know your stuff. I don't know. Any other closing thoughts from the people in the room? Laura, do you want any closing thoughts? Well, that's also like what you say. Like, that's kind of the whole you have to be twice as good, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just to be, like, heard at all. And hopefully, like, as... Um, like Kathleen was saying, like as more um, women are in and like younger people grow up and become in positions of power that like the focus will be more on um, the content of what what someone's saying rather than um, how they're saying it. Um, Because that'll be interesting. Because you still have to let your personality come through. Like Mm -hmm. if you, yes, know your shit, but you also don't want to come across as robotic and just reading stats or just getting your point across because the biggest thing is if your audience is bored and they're not mm-hmm. paying attention to you, it kind of doesn't matter what you're saying. Right. You know, so much of it uh-huh. is about your body language and things like that. So right. I feel like let your personality come through, but know your shit. Cause a lot of that stuff, uh, are nervous ticks. Mm-hmm. So when you don't know what's coming next and you don't know what you're really talking about and that's when I think people start trailing off and you go down that horrible rabbit hole of Absolutely. what am I talking about? Right. I'm at my most valley girl when I'm like confused and nervous for sure. But um, I like actually that point about you know, you don't want to bore people. In some ways, that's, you know, what it's all about. And I think that can be an advantage if you're an animated, you know, Lady, I mean, obviously women are much more interesting than men all the time. (laughs) But, you know, I do. I think it's good to think about, like, a way that being sort of, like, you know, just that it is a stereotypically feminine sort of, like, that social butterfly energy. But, like, if you can bring that to a workplace or bring it to a presentation in a way that seems maybe more effective or more natural coming from a woman than maybe from a man, like, I think that can be something Mm -hmm. that hopefully sets you apart and makes yeah. you effective it's very things. motivating when you yeah. hear someone who's fun and pa- has passion and loves mm-hmm. what they're doing and, and knows their stuff and is telling a great story like that's the person I want to see that's the person I want to follow absolutely and I think ultimately you have to worry more than anything about are you doing a good job mm-hmm. are you good at your job is mm-hmm. your talent shining through because someone might come in t- into a job interview and not ever vocal fry or ever say like or you know <laughs> or, um, and you might come in and say it a thousand times would have 10 times better ideas and I think that you're you know you're in a better position because you have better ideas mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely um I feel really like empowered in my soul right now I feel like this is a really motivating conversation <laughs> this is actually a therapy session yeah, right exactly it is a therapy session but I would like to think that our millions of podcast followers <laughs> um, are going to listen to this in the 
pro like I said, the problem will be solved. So good job, guys. We did it. We fixed it. Um, but thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. And as always, we like to end by by um, throwing out our Twitter handles so you can tweet at all of us and tell us how lovely and intelligent we sounded during this podcast. Um, so follow me on Twitter at Elisa Benson. Um, mine is Allie Martel, at Allie Martel, and there's one L in Allie and two in Martel. I'm at Amy O'Dell, A-M-Y-O-D-E-L-L. I'm at Kat Murray Harris, K-A-T-M-U-R-R-A-Y-H-A-R-R-I-S. Um, I'm at Mr. Pinguino, <laughs> <laughs> um, because I started Twitter with not being serious. Um, it's Mr. Mr. Penguin O. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, but um, thank you all so much for um, listening out there. And thank you again to Kathleen Harris, our special guest today. Um, please come back to our podcast again soon. Love to. Um, and see you guys all next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.